0: and welcome to this week's episode of Attendance Bias. I am your host, Brian Weinstein. This week's guest on Attendance Bias is Adam Rosenberg. When we were first going back and forth over email, Adam at first had some difficulty narrowing down the show or jam that he wanted to talk about, and it seemed like every choice he suggested had already been chosen by a previous guest. Then it seemed like he took a moonshot and suggested one of the best fish jams ever played, Chalk the torture from Camden, played on July 10th, 1999. If you're a regular listener, you know this, but many guests on this podcast have told their stories about shows or jams from the summer of 1999. Yet, this absolute monster was still up for grabs, and man, I am glad that Adam took this opportunity. Although we're separated by a few years, Adam and I had very similar introductions to fish, and we hit it off immediately. The conversation felt instantly familiar, even though we had been in touch for just a few weeks. So let's join Adam to talk about phony college interviews, Steve Vai and Reddit, and what it's like at a fish show when your parents know more about goo balls than you do, as we discuss Fish's performance of Choctis Torture from July 10th, 1999 at the E! Center in Camden, New Jersey. Adam, thanks for being on Attendance Bias. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Brian. I'm really excited to be here. I am too. You picked kind of an apex fish jam. You picked one (laughs) that, you know, one of the joys of this show is when guests pick jams or shows that I've never heard or even heard of. What you did today is you kind of picked a Mount Everest version of a song that a lot of people are familiar with, but what's going to make this unique is when we hear your unique perspective on it. So I'm really excited to dig in.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I am too. It's just, it's funny that this song has, that this version hasn't been done yet. And this is, you're right, it's the apex. As I got deeper into like remembering my stories from it, I was like, wow, like this is, this is a very important version of this song. So I'm really excited to talk about it.
0: And for any listeners who fast forwarded through my intro, Adam Rosenberg picked Choctus Torture from July 10th, 1999 at what was then called the E-Center but for all intents and purposes, it's Camden. Yeah. Right. Every, it's, other, it's every Philly, other, it's the day. Philly,
1: the Philly Summer Show is what they used to do before they used yeah. to go to the man. They would, yeah. they'd go to
0: Jersey. Yeah. Right. It was the Tweeter Center. It's the E yeah. Center. And it's,
1: Susquehanna it's, Bank. Yeah.
0: Sure. And tomorrow it'll be something else. Uh, but you picked this jam, and the minute that you picked it, I knew that I heard it many, many times. It's one of those jams that kind of sinks into your DNA when you're first getting into fish or when you're first digging into their best jams, like the, the best of, but like after you've ingested and tattooed it on yourself, you kind of move away from it. Cause it's like your favorite movies. Oh, I've seen it a million times. Let me find something else. So when you pick this going back and re-listening to it, for me, it was almost like opening a box that you found in the back of your closet that had all of your favorite mementos from childhood. And you like spend so yeah. much time pouring over it. It's like, I mean, it's it, what's interesting is that Camden
1: is responsible for actually several <laughs> great chalk dusts. And, you know, this one, I think that there's a lot of people that heard this one and went from being like, yeah, I like fish," Or, wow, this band is extremely special. Um, I know we're going to talk about it more, but it's it brought back for me a lot of memories because I had just graduated high school. So we'll get into it. But this show, a lot of things about it were really special for me.
0: Yeah, so those of you out there, prepare for a lot of hyperbole, probably on both of our <laughs> parts, but certainly yeah. <laughs> on my part. Uh, but Adam, let's get to know you a little bit as a fan. So we're going to start with the Attendance Bias Lightning Round.
1: Attendance Bias Lightning Round.
0: Adam, what was your first fish show?
1: 1215.95 at the Spectrum in Philadelphia, 15th birthday. My parents said that I could go to see fish. I'd been bugging them for a year that I really wanted to go see it. They, of course, had to come with me and my sister. The, um, I didn't really know what was going on. Everything smelled like Otto's jacket, you know, for those who <laughs> yes. watch The Simpsons. Um, yep. And, um, you know, they were doing the, the chessboard. The key thing from that show is my dad turns around and says, hey, we found this uh, the other adult setter here. This guy's son is in the band. Who is it? it's john fishman's parents because and they had this they had badges that said fish parent that was like a picture of john and then it was like mimi and like his dad and i don't know his dad's name but it was both of them and so my parents found yeah the only other adults and sex adults quote unquote in the section and they happened to be john fishman's parents <laughs> um it was kind of wild and my sister this is a gate my sister who has now since quadruple lapped me on shows she's my younger sister i had to bring her too and now she's 200
0: shows deep. So. I feel like the whole podcast could be about questions about going to your first show with your family, because I my parents were never really that interested in fish. They were interested in so much that I was interested in it, <laughs> and they wanted to know a little bit about it, but they've never gone to a show with me. I don't think they're interested in ever going to a show with me. Uh, my first show was also when I was 15 years old, uh, but they, they let me go just with my friend Craig, the two of us. So, and that was at the garden, Lucky. You know, yours was at the spectrum, which is like Philly's equivalent, right? The bigger, yeah, arena yeah. in town. Yep. So they, and they had no idea what to expect. Like you got into fish a year before you saw your first show, which is this, the same situation as I was in. So what did you know going in? I
1: knew that I had played live one into the ground. Um, <laughs> I had played that CD so many times that it had skipped and i look i knew that uh i i had no idea about like i i didn't really know about jamming i just knew that i this there was a bunch of things that i could bob my head to i knew i liked i knew i liked Chalk us um i was like wow this is a rock song this song is this song just whales they opened with that that night um i mean it was uh it was great or they might have opened they, i know they played it but anyway, they um it, I didn't know what to expect, but it was just funny to, to turn to to learn or hear someone say, "Hey, heady heady goo balls," and like you look at your parents. and My parents knew what it meant. I had no idea what it meant. I had no idea what any of it meant. My parents were big into music, not big into fish. And they always say to me, "They say that effing band is the biggest thing that brought you and your sister closer together." Because my sister and I are like huge fans and would go to shows together and do all these things. And they think it's a riot. So. <laughs> What's your most recent show? Uh, I did the whole AC run. Uh, my wife was really awesome as she was eight months pregnant. She said the last thing that I could do before the baby came was go to this run. The baby came actually early, so I really threaded the needle. Uh, but I went to all three shows in AC this past August uh, with a good friend of mine, my buddy Josh. It was great. It was fish on the beach. I had never done the AC shows. It was, it was cool. It was, I had a lot of fun with it. It was kind of that, I had a moment there where I was like, wow, this band could do whatever they want. It was when they closed, it was when everyone said, they're going to close the weekend with Yem and they played Yem to close the, the first set of the second night. Why? Because this band can do whatever they want and it's awesome.
0: What's your favorite venue overall? For like
1: the ambiance, I really like Meriwether because Meriwether is basically like, being inside an ewok village in like the (laughs) woods it's just it's like i mean it's like you're you're literally surrounded by trees and it's a lot of fun but like for partying like and by partying i mean like dancing with friends and seeing all the things like msg really can't be beat because it's just like you open the doors you're in new york city it's just such a it's a very different thing but uh you know i've been down to the spaceship. I've been to a lot of shows on the West coast, but, uh, but Meriwether is a lot of fun.
0: I think that I already know the answer to this question based on what you just said, but overall, if you had to pick one indoor fish or outdoor fish, outdoor fish, outdoor fish. Cause you can watch the world happening. You watch
1: the world happen while the show happens. There's nothing It can't be beat. Can't be beat. Even despite the worst elements of being in, co- being a Coventry. Uh, you know fish every year every summer deciding to do an upstate northeast show despite rain dealing with it um, to you know going to a show at Tahoe and just watching everything watching the mountains as things are happening it's it's fish outdoors can't be beat
0: that's my biggest issue though with summer tour being from the northeast that whenever they play throughout June and usually the first half of July it's almost a guaranteed rainstorm at some point whether it's Jones Beach or uh Holmdale or The Man or Merryweather Post for that matter. It's Camden rain rains, Candid, Candid it rains yeah. all the
1: time. The fourth of July shows it rained. It like in two thousand. Like it all it for all the things that this band does well, there was a period of time where they did not do logistics well. I remember when Coventry happened and I was like, How does this happen? Like, how do you not know how much rain is gonna happen and this is just gonna be a thing? They've been they brought me a lot of joy. So I, I kind of They're not a logistics band. They're a rock band.
0: You know, that Coventry might have been my first negative association before the pandemic with the word unprecedented. Yeah, same too. And and they um, said unprecedented rains and rainstorms, I think, was the phrase that they used. And I'm like, oh, I hate unprecedented things. uh, (laughs)
1: Yeah. um, You know, I will always, the inside joke I will always make with my friends is, hi, this is Mike. I have some really bad news. I know the exact like timing and pause, and it's just
0: but yeah, unprecedented the rains. Uh, you've been seeing the band since 1995. Are there any songs that you're still chasing? I haven't heard a I've
1: heard a lot of things, um, but I haven't heard of Nicholas haven't heard um haven't heard what's apparently become popular. Axel Part II was apparently made all huge of a sudden comeback. all of a sudden, I have a friend who who went to he went to the show at uh it's not Mary, the it's the Google campus, but the Mountain View went to Mountain View, and then he went to Vegas. And I'm like, did you really get, like, 20% of the of part 2s And he said, oh, yeah, I guess I did. Um, but, yeah, Iculus. I'm chasing Iculus.
0: What's your favorite fish year overall?
1: 98 is probably my favorite. I was about to be a senior. So, like, there was a lot. Like, that summer was really cool for fish because they did some under the covers, and they did all these cool covers, and things were really fun. But, like, underneath all that, they were just Jamming really well in stuff that wasn't quite like type two, like what was about to happen. That's when I really got into tape trading too, and I was just on Gadiel's page and refreshing when I was seeing set lists and stuff all over the place. But '98, I mean, it changes for me all the time. But like '98, you know, what, you know what it is. '98 is like the. It's the hipster version of saying 97 is great in my opinion. Yeah, so, it is. You know, everyone will talk about 97, but like 98, they like were refining stuff. And 98, I think had a really nice mix of like, we're going to play to the crowd and we're going to play to ourselves. And that summer where they, I mean, they covered Van
0: Halen. That whole summer was magical. I think what it is about 1998 or another thing, you nailed it very well, is that it's almost too even for its own good as far as reputation goes. Yeah. Like it's so even and it's so balanced and it's so well played that if you weren't there, it doesn't stand out to you.
1: Like the big theme of that year was like, hey, they did a really cool cover in almost every single show. Like they debuted covers across the board. But then they also did the false stuff. Hampton had that tough company. It was almost like the beginning of them, not beginning, but I guess them party, like them partying with the fans and partying with themselves. Like very much right now, the difference between like, like we talked about with AC, like this band can do whatever they want. Like that band is like they play with the fans, but they're playing because they enjoy and they're making their own sort of musical thing there. It was a little bit different in 98 because I think that they were still like, they were still like almost, our lot band that was like playing for us. that we were, and we're like, and, you know, someone can yell out play cut something and
0: they would possibly play it. You know, that's sort of the mentality that was happening in 98. It was a little bit different. And finally, what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen at a fish yeah. show?
1: I'm sure a lot of your listeners will remember this the summer of, I think it was Oh three. Yeah. Oh three. Mike was like really into riding around on his segue in the parking lot and just going up to fans and shows and like buying things in the shakedown Probably Mike coming up to a friend of mine, not saying anything, but being on the segue and just kind of going back and forth, almost like R2-D2, like engaging <laughs> without speaking and then leaving. Um, I uh, I know that this is a popular one uh, on on the pod because people say this, but I've seen absolutely my fair share of just like running around naked people at the show. Um, there was also a dude who was fully dressed in like Domino's pizza gear at Vegas a couple of years ago. Just randomly delivering pizza to different people. But I think it's I think Mike on the Segway being like almost a human the personification of R2 D2 in curiosity and kindness going up to people on the lot. In a sense, yeah. it's man, this band is this band is great. <laughs> when was this show
0: played? By the end of this podcast, maybe sooner. I'm going to cover every single show from July of 1999. When I started, I didn't know much at all about this month or 1999 as a whole. And now I feel like I'm a back-to-forth expert on every show. And it starts with Fish played a really big summer tour in 1999. It took up almost all of July. They played 22 shows in one month, which is a lot for any band. According to Fish.com. That matches 1992's total as the month with the most shows played in a ju- in July. So like they've never played more than 22 shows in mm-hmm. the month of July, according to Fish.com, That is.
1: But what's awesome? But what's awesome? We talked before we went on air. They opened that tour in Kansas. Like they opened that tour <laughs> in the middle. In the it's just for that time with that band. It was like that's super. I mean, this was a northeast band, dude. Like. And they opened up then, like, you know, this summer they opened in Alabama. That, that was, this is very, very different. They were like establishing South, but to open up your summer tour in Kansas is like, whoa, dude. Um, it, It's just, we're not like, not to make a trope, but they weren't in Kansas anymore. That summer was just, I mean, that was right after I graduated college. So it was just such an important show for me on just
0: multiple levels. Well, that's how you build infrastructure to be a, nationwide arena rock band you know like you can't ignore any place for too long this was the first time in a really long time that fish had switched their positions on stage The i think the classic image that a lot of us at least those of us who got into the band in 1.0 have is them straight across yep. starting on the summer 99 tour fishman moved behind mike and trey more like a traditional rock drummer who has sets the beat from behind the band And Trey also added a small keyboard setup that is played in almost every single show this summer. I didn't see them on the summer tour. I first saw them in October in 1999. And I remember thinking, Oh, Fishman's behind them. Uh, That that didn't seem, I don't know if this is the best word, but I'm like, this doesn't seem right to me. (laughs) It's just. How are they hearing each other? Like, how are they able to do this? And it was, I remember that. I also remember that
1: keyboard because I, went to a lot of shows in the fall because I was in college and I could do whatever I wanted. And then um, that keyboard, at the, for a certain period of time, Trey playing on that mini keyboard was like, had to be noted in the, had to be yeah, be on in the set list. Trey's on keys. Now it wouldn't have been a thing, but like he was playing around with it on 2001. He was playing around with it on, on, on Ghost, um, at, at, which at that point were were rarities, you know? Like it was very different.
0: Some other big highlights, uh, other big tour, uh, shows on this tour, at least, in my opinion, were July 4th at Lakewood Amphitheater in Georgia or in Atlanta. There was a guest spot by Derek Trucks in Charlotte, July 7th. Uh, th- this show in Camden, of course. A couple days later, on the 15th, there was a five-song second set in Homedale, Of course, Camp Oswego, which I mentioned has been covered on this podcast with my friend Dave. And of course, the announcement of Big Cypress at the Polaris Amphitheater. At this time, I was working at a summer camp that wasn't, is still isn't too far from Greatwoods. It's about an hour, I think, from Greatwoods Amphitheater. So I didn't get to go to any shows this summer. And one of my first interviews of this podcast, a friend of mine, Tom, chose a show at Meriwether Post. It was just a few days before uh, this Camden show. And it's a running joke. I thought about how no one considers '99 their favorite year of fish, but there as of today, this is this would be the ninth. There have been eight episodes about full shows or jams from '99, and four of them are just from this summer. I guess it's, everyone knows something it's a that wild I don't. summer
1: because it, you know, it was. I mean, it was very. I I like to say this, but like, yeah, like '99 is like the hipster version. It can, can become like it's like a hip. Cal Funky 97, 98 combined. It, it, what's wild is like you're talking about the, the the working at a summer camp. Me going to this show, I was working at a summer camp and I only had like two off days. And of course, you know, a bunch of Northeast Jewish kids all working at a summer camp, everybody takes off for fish. Um, <laughs> and um, I remember that what I did was I lied and said that I had to go home and do an interview to get into my college, a, a final interview where I wouldn't be allowed to get into college. And that's how I could get off to go to this show, which looking back is like the worst, the stupidest lie in the world. Like I was clear, like I was, I was going to college like three weeks later and I'm like, I'm like, oh yeah they told me I had to do a special interview where I can't go. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. So that's how I got out of work to go home I was working in, in the Poconos to go home to Philly to go to the show.
0: <laughs> That's when you realize that people who run the summer camps aren't much more advanced and mature than the <laughs> no. people who work at the summer camps. No, absolutely not. <laughs> what led you to this show? Like what, who was Adam Rosenberg in the summer of 99? Um, I had played in a bunch of bands in, in
1: high school. I was a pretty big music geek and, um, you know, and I listened to a lot of fish. I was always trying to get my band to i was always they were not fish fans to trick them into jamming out i would hear fish do something and i'd be like oh guys we gotta have horns we gotta do this we gotta we sh- we gotta cover getting jiggy with it we should do these things um and i guess adam then he was just i mean i was absolutely a boy um but uh i i just i didn't i had never really you know i was about to go to college so for me it was it was like oh wow i get to not be it. I don't have to go to fish shows with my parents like I did in 95. Uh, I get to do whatever I want. And it kind of starts with, you know, going, lying about having to go home to go to a show and, and going to it. So it, the things I remember though, was a lot of my friends from high school or a lot of people that I always wanted to be friends with in high school. I ended up becoming friends with that summer because it was one of those, like, I didn't walk around high school being like, Oh, I listen to fish. Cause it wasn't like a thing. Back then I, I went to high school still in the era of classic jock and nerd. It wasn't you listen to this band or you don't. And then I got and remember that summer I would uh I saw people on the lot and I was like, oh man, hey, like we had class together. And like I suddenly had something in common with a lot of people that I didn't think I had anything in common with. Um and a lot of those people like have remained, you know, my friends to this day. And they were people that I wanted to be friends with or I'd never been friends with in high school, and I became friends with after high school because I was like, Oh, look at you, we're both a like camp. Uh, and this was my, I don't know, I, I think and this is my first Camden experience and every single one became memorable.
0: Well, why do you have attendance bias toward this Choctaw's torture? This show, um, Trey wore a Mia Ham jersey
1: because the Women's World Cup team had won the Women's World Cup. And because of that, I have a Mia Ham jersey that I still wear. It's my only soccer jersey that I have. My only USA jersey is a Mia Ham jersey. And I do it because Trey worried at this at this. I um muzzle well, like, Talk ch- fits you. It's I don't know how it works, but it still <laughs> does. Um I look, I'm a I'm a chalk, I'm an unapologetic chalk dust guy. Chopper song or not, that song rocks every single time it plays. You are not getting up to go to the bathroom during chalk dust. It is awesome. You could get a chalk dust reprise, you could get just a jammed out version like we got. You could get even just a seven-minute version that just kind of does its thing. Chakos is like the like "campus, wait till I'm old, can I live while I'm young" is the quote in my yearbook. Like I loved this song. So when this show happens, and I don't know, tell me if I'm like spoiling, if we're going to go through the thing, but like this, uh, this is the second song of the night, and it just like and suddenly the bottom drops out, and it's just and it creates an entirely different experience than I was expecting. Certainly, what I remembered from my from Polaris when I'd gone the year before, or other fish shows uh, previously.
0: So you just mentioned that this Choctus Torture is the second song of the whole show. And that took me by surprise as I was preparing to talk about it and to listen and break it down. It was really difficult for me to find entire shows from the summer of 99. Maybe that's why, for me, there's kind of this mystery, this that it's kind of an enigma for me. When I think about summer 99, I don't feel like I have a grasp on it, even from compared to other tours that I wasn't at. And so when I saw that it's the second song of the whole show, maybe it's just me, but when I think of all time greatest fish jams or best versions of certain songs, I don't know. I I assume that they're played in the middle of a second set or that they close a first set or maybe they They get warmed up or something like that. Yeah. Or maybe even, uh, you know, a very special encore. I don't know. But to me, if you told me to place If you told me before walking into a show, Fish is going to play the greatest version of this song tonight, where do you think they're going to play it? I would never say the first or second show of the first or second song of the show. So even just somewhere.
1: Even that, that, like, even, sorry to cut you off, but like even when you listen to that Wilson, that Wilson starts to slap like in a very different way. It's a, it's a, it's a seven and a half minute Wilson. It's a four minute song if they really want to do it. And like I mean, they, like that, this chalk dust to me is as I li- as I listen to other chalk dusts, and they 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 by the way they they seem to do a lot of big chalk dusts in Philly. Um, I don't know why, but it just happens that way. It's it's funny because it's you didn't get fish doing these kind of jams like that for this song. This was this is something you would hear in Slave, or you would hear in like or or, or in like in Yem or. Something like that. you didn't get it in the rock song that generally opened up most shows. The fact that this was the second song, it was almost like actually like now we're ready to start and even the even the start even the starting Wilson, they like carried on a little bit. I mean I know we're gonna get into it, but I'm excited. so, well, yeah, I'm excited but- about this.
0: Yeah, but me too. And to that point, now I think it's fairly common to see Choctaw's Torture turn type two and become one of the big jam vehicles of a set. I remember, I think it was at the Baker's Dozen. There's an outstanding version of Choctaw's Torture. But for, for most of its existence, like you said, it's like a maybe seven minute rock song with an insane guitar solo at incredible speeds. And there's not much more to it than that, as good as that is. And this just flips the whole paradigm. And when the jam begins about three minutes in, the way I heard it is a typical Chalk Torture guitar solo. Like three of the band members are holding it down. Trey is soloing and kind of searching a little bit. And maybe Fishman's adding a crash cymbal to accent it here or there, but nothing unusual. When I started listening to this for the first time in years, I said to myself, I was in the car, I remember I said to myself, huh, maybe it's not as great as I remember it. I'm saying that about three and a half minutes in, keep in mind. Well, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: I mean, it does its typical thing, but it's, you know, it is at like midway through where it completely changes tone and it turns into this, like, it's got like this, you know, Allman brother, this Dwayne Allman-esque kind of guitar rhythm going. Like, I I swear to everyone, I hear Steve Vai stuff, but no one believes me. It it doesn't (laughs) matter, but like, it is, the, the song turns type two like that and you don't even actually realize it because it comes out of nowhere and like usually you'll have like like a MoMA or a ghost will like bring you slowly into this it's doing its guitar thing it's doing what he normally does and then just suddenly like about six minutes in I'm like wait a minute this isn't this is not this isn't what I signed up for but I'm into it
0: That's exactly what I wrote. I wrote it at five minutes and 25 <laughs> seconds. I wrote the words, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's right around then. And
1: it's, it's, for me, there's different versions of fish songs that like you listen to fish enough and it starts becoming songs. It starts becoming key moments of jams that stick with you. And uh-huh. this one is always stuck with me. And like, I'll hear this later on whenever I hear like other chalk dusts, like at MSG or something like that. And I'll hear it there. There are two fish jams that um, – or three fish jams that have ever consistently stuck with me from a song. It is a wedge from uh, Chicago, from – from, Northern uh, 20, Island, right? Northern Lee Island. This and um, the ghost from uh, Worcester 03, Summer, um, uh, which I kind of interchanged with the MoMA dance because they actually kind of did the same thing. But there's these jams, and they're just so – Type two significant that it just takes the song into a completely different direction.
0: Yeah. And this point that you pointed out at about six minutes, right? This is in a typical Choctaw's torture. This is where Trey is going to start wrapping it up by going to like and, and bringing them <laughs> all back to the coda. And I wrote that things might be veering into type two. They're not going back into the coda. Like it's turning layered, it's becoming repetitive. And by now, about seven minutes at the point, a little bit after the, the your Time stamp, Fishman was the only one holding on to the Choctaw's torture beat. But it doesn't go type two and it doesn't hold on to Choctaw's torture. It's like straddling this middle ground, but it, it's almost like Trey wants to go back to Choctaw's torture, but he's not quite ready to go yeah. there. I don't know if that's the right. Phrasing for it. No, no, but no he's I also, but he's also not committing to it's it. It's like it's a restrained
1: thing. It's like, should we do this? Are we doing this? Okay, well, we're, we're doing this. It's kind of like it's, you know, it's like, all right, I guess we're fucking. Like this is this is like it's absolute. Like, and then I totally because I listened to it again today, and I was reading your notes, and I listened to it again, and like, fish is like, cool, man. Like, I'm ready to wrap this up if you want to wrap this up, and then Trey's like think i want to and then everybody kind of connects it that everyone gets it at the same time and that's where it kind of you know it's this nine minute it's when it does it's elizabeth reed plus whatever you want to call it and it just kind of gets fun and just groovy
0: it is it is it's a very obvious elizabeth reed uh tease you know yeah. when i i didn't recognize it when i first heard this right no, i was like 17 <laughs> years old i'm talking about years ago right literally 20 years ago almost or more than that actually and I, i i'm like this sounds very different than what fish plays and it's familiar, but I don't know where, you know, my brain and my references hadn't fully developed into this jukebox that I have now sitting atop my shoulders. And so I didn't quite place it. And now that you can look on fish.net and it says, Oh, with Elizabeth Reed tease, and it can give you the exact time that it happens. Now it seems very obvious and purposeful. And then they completely jump ship into uh, improvisation. Chalk is gone. By nine minutes, right after this Elizabeth Reed interjection, and that ha- like when that happens, it's a totally different song. It becomes like a southern, rock,
1: like it becomes like you said, like it feels like a feels like an Almond Brothers song. Like it feels like it, it. Then it just in terms of how it crescendos, because um, it sings and it does this, like the like the high notes are so, they're just they're they're there, and it's it's a it's like a siren call almost, in the middle of that song, the way he's using the guitar. Because everything else is swirling, and then he finds another way to take it up another octave, and take it up another octave. And it's
0: uh, that song crescendos like three times in that two minutes, and I love it. I bet a lot of people feel the same way that you do. And then around nine and a half minutes, a little bit after that, this is what I think it's remembered for. When you said that there's certain parts, you name-checked a couple of jams that stick out in your memory from your fish history. Yeah. I think that when most people talk about this Choc, torture being, you know, the top of the mountain for this song or arguably for some fish melodies overall, but it comes to improv. I think this segment from about nine and a half minutes to maybe 11 and a half minutes, there's like these two minutes. that I just spilled out adjectives. This is where the hyperbole (laughs) is coming in. I have
1: um I have spent years on Reddit or in any forum time stamping these parts of the song <laughs> and saying and asking people I mean like look like, we're fish fans we're all nerds um being like hey what is it, what is, what is everyone else here during this like i cuz it's just this really cool sequence that is
0: sort of anything that you want to make of it
1: and I, and, and that's yeah. what i
0: think is great When you ask what do you hear in this sequence, I wrote that it is seriously driven, amazing, uplifting, ponderous. The whole crowd is into it and it's impossible to put into words. I even took it a step further or a step up. I even thought that this is why humans have art and music to express the feelings that words can't convey. That is beautiful. That's beautiful. Like it can't be adequately expressed by language. It has to be expressed in the language of music. And in capital letters, this right here is the sweet spot. This is why this Chalk Dust has the reputation that it does. I completely agree. Because I was just, you know, right before we jumped on, I was
1: like, you know, I'm going to go find this old Reddit thread. And it's sure enough, it's me saying on it. Hey, 10-22, uh, <laughs> does anyone else hear Steve Vai? Nope, just me? All right, cool. And then someone said a really great thing. They said, you can hear whatever you want in a fish jam. And I said, thank you. Like, I can hear whatever I want in this. Yeah. Um, because you know what's funny? Because we talk about the very obvious Elizabeth Reed? You know, for years, I never heard Elizabeth Reed in that until I went back and I'm like, oh yeah, I guess that is definitely Elizabeth Reed. But for years, I was just like, uh, I was like, oh, this is just a really, really great jam, and it's, 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 um, you know, it's sort of because it's not as like we talked. I, I mentioned that wedge. That wedge is the very overt um, Paradise City jam in that, which is very obvious. But on this one, and I was an almond fan. I was just like, oh, well, like I don't hear it. I'm like, oh, wait, now I guess I do. Um, yeah, it's it's a real magical song, and it's and and I think that you know we can't overstate enough how important it is that like. This is chalk dust that's doing this. Yeah. Like for all intents and purposes, like it's a for all intents and purposes, it's a, it's a studio song. It's like a studio pop song if you think about it. Like in terms of how it was originally structured, it was their like, single. It's a rock song from a yes. picture of Hector,
0: It was their single.
1: So it's not the same as as a coil or or, or a slave that are or Harry like, Hood. that are structured or Harry Hood that are structured around this composition that's supposed to go for eight nine minutes. This song is four minutes and 30 seconds and it's supposed to be a very classic rock song. And this one was everything, it was great.
0: This segment, I was I listened to it. It was almost like listening to it for the first time. You know, I, I gave the analogy earlier of like opening a, a box of mementos in the back of your uh, closet, your childhood closet. But I was listening to this on my commute home. And when this two-minute segment hit, I said to myself, it's amazing when the band... Jams like this, and you know, there's Carlos Santana's hose analogy, right? The band is a hose, the audience are flowers, and the music is the water. You know, that they're just like conduits bringing it to us. And it's such a such a good feeling when you know the band is know, that's a very,
1: that sounds like a very, that, like if I had to say, how would Carlos Santana describe music? It would absolutely be the way that you just described. Like, like that makes so much, no one else can use that analogy. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. It's, the,
0: it's like, that's a very Carlos Santana analogy. Yeah. And it's it's so rare that when normally what I love about fish jams is they surprise me like they take it to places I couldn't have thought or wouldn't have predicted that they would. The thing about this jam or this part of it is not only do they take it to a place that I would love them to do it, every new progression of it goes to a place where in my head I'm like, it would be amazing if they went here next. And then they do everything is perfectly placed. It's like they are reading the audience's mind and the audience is cheering them on and opening their own minds for the band to keep reading it and responding reactively. It's perfectly... Well, that's,
1: that's something that's so great about this band. And I think that this band did did this more... This band, like, between, like, up until, I don't know, like, probably mid mid. they were still like every show I feel like seeking like hey we gotta have a connection with the audience to make whatever you're just discussing like to to say like we're gonna make this happen with you guys this jam is doing this now I think they've kind of matured in the sense of like we connect with you guys but we're gonna let you guys connect through what our art is that we're gonna put up on here like this chalk dust and just a lot of the songs in 90 a lot of the shows in 99 uh, certainly in 2000 feel like the band building art with the fans as like I mean it's the very essence behind what Big Ball Jam was all about. You know, like, we're going to, every time you throw the ball up, we're going to do this. That's not, that's not our, that's not 4.0 or 3.0, that's not the 3.0 or 4.0 fish. That is very firmly like a 1.0 and 2.0 thing. And I kind of, it's very like, this is toward, you know, this is the last two years of 1.0. This is like a very key moment where this band is figuring out how do we spin this into something with these folks that, are likely the same folks that were at the last show and the last show before that, and the show before that as well. It's a very special time for the band, so it's a very special time for them, what they're creating.
0: And they're not done yet, right? This this whole jam is just about <laughs> over, I think, 14 minutes, or the whole the track is, they immediately pull back from this like soaring, epic segment that I will never shut up about into a pretty simple beat and a melody, and it sounds nothing like what was just played. Like it must have been whiplash in the audience. What was it like for you once that segment was over, and then they're just kind of really coming down, but still keeping the speed. <laughs> so I know you saw my notes in this, but like when they come down from
1: this and they finish everything, I mean, look, you know when you hear a badass song at a fish, badass version of a song at a fish concert, like you could just tell, like everything, like the everything in the world just moves at the same pace. I will fully admit it. I am an <laughs> I am openly a Roger hater. And so and when this and the song ends up <laughs> going into going into that. And for me, I was like, oh man, this is really like this is gonna be like this. But and it's a perfect segue, by the way. Hit lover hate the segue. song. They nailed I it. You know what? I didn't appreciate it when I was younger. Musically, 100 percent appreciate it. It's right. Because look, they also did that a lot then. They would Okay, cool. We're done with this. Like, let's just go into Roger, uh, or like, let's go into Circus comes to town. Like, they would do that a lot. But I, I was an open Roger hater, and um, so it was just really interesting. But it's still phenomenal. it's just like it's what makes that jam- like if they gave just enough because you talked about how this is a 14 minute jam From that it might have been 45 could have been 45 minutes in my head like it just it was it would it was perfect it was it left you wanting the right amount the jam comes back they they during the birds later on they bring back elements of that chalk dust like they the the uh, the Fluffhead had elements of it in there, too. And Fluffhead is a completely different structure. Fluffhead's a composed song. Like, there's not that much room to improv in there. And I'm like, this is definitely the Jock Dust jam I heard earlier today. It, it's
0: pretty cool. Adam Rosenberg, thank you for coming on and tackling <laughs> what must have been, what I thought was a pretty daunting jam to choose. You know, so much... Ink has been spilled, if people actually still used ink. Uh but I hope so. <laughs> so much ha- yeah, so much has been said about this, written about it, remembered and felt about it, that I thought, what can I add or what could not me, but what could one add in terms of this podcast to what's already been well-known about this chalk dust? And it's so good to hear from someone who is talking about it as if it happened last night. It's just the more, you know, I appreciate you bringing me on and letting me talk
1: about it. Just that period of my life, going from like high school to college, going to be able to like work like on my own, like live by myself. It's just this jam, this show brought up lots of cool memories for me and that led to other great fish memories and just other non fish memories. And it was a very important, I to say, but it's just a very important shock test in my life. So it. Yeah.
0: And it's, it's evergreen. Yeah, you know, that's that's really, the definition of good art that no, no matter what medium you're talking about, it always stays the same. It's you that changes yeah. You know, as a middle yeah. school teacher. I have one of my students who's in eighth grade. So he's you know, 13 and we have a part of our lessons where the kids pick any book they want. Right. Independent reading. It used to be okay. called. And he picked The Catcher in the Rye, which is a pretty mature book for a 13 year old, you know, and it's also kind of abstract because he asked me the other day, what's the pot? He's just like walking around. Uh, yeah.
1: It's like, somebody asked you, what's that about? It's like, it's just great. It's, just, yeah. it's just,
0: yeah. But as now as a 39 year old, I could say, Oh, it's about a young man's struggle to cope with his brother's death and his uh, mental breakdown in, you know, in the face of alienation. And it's like, it's the same book that I read when I was a freshman in high school, and I thought Holden Caulfield was the coolest guy ever. I know. I well, did. I was. I mean, and I think at
1: one point we all went through big Holden Caulfield phases, didn't we? Uh,
0: we all like were like,
1: yeah, man, Holden Caulfield's so cool. Uh, but now he's yeah, just he's like, like a derp, and it's no, like, and yeah, and now he doesn't like, change. No, man, he's really, he's really, he's really sad, and doesn't change at all. He's we actually change, like, like we change his be- going around telling everyone that they're a
0: phony is no way to live life.
1: And, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it, it's just, that's what he did. Um, and
0: this and yeah. this chalk is uh, yeah. torture. It's like it's awesome when you hear it the first time it's radioactive. You know, you call it one of the best fish jams ever and you, you live with it and you let it settle at least this. I'm speaking again. It's my experience with it. You let it settle. You take it for granted that it's one of the best ever. And then after it settles for a number of years, I go back with fresh ears to listen to it because someone else chose it because you chose it. You know, it's not my choice in a way to listen to it. And so to hear it now, it's like, I'm bringing so much more experience. I've heard so much more music, so much more fish. And of course, a million other bands and styles. And it's like, this still sounds like it's brand new and fresh. I'm honored
1: that no one had done it and that I got to talk about it. That's I guess what it is. Cause it's such a, it's like, to me, it's like, of course, of course, someone did like talked about this one. Like when I emailed you and threw out the ones that I threw out, I was like, yeah, yeah, these ones will be fine. And then you're like, yeah, someone's already done. All, someone's already done the, the Burgess Town. I think I, that was the first one I threw out. I was like, oh yeah, what about this Burgess Town? They're like already been done. I'm like, really?
0: Um, Simpsons so, did it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And the Simpsons did it. And, um, I'm like, all right, well, you know, I was also I was at the Chalk Dust '99. Like, oh yeah, no one's done that. And I'm like, really? Because like this Chalk Dust '99 is what made me from like, hey, I listen to Fish to like, I am a Fish fan, and I will follow this band. I'm 41 years old, and I will follow this band anywhere. It was part of my my wife had to put it in our wedding vows, like type of thing. <laughs> um, I mean, and she is not a Fish fan. So, um, I'm going to put
0: that in the prenup. I'm taking a note right it. now. <laughs> do it, do it. No, but this, it's, I'm glad we got to talk about it. Me too. Adam, thanks so much for coming by today. Yeah, thanks a lot, Brian. And that's it for my interview today with Adam Rosenberg about Dust torture from July 10th, 1999 in Camden. But we're not done yet. It's time for the attendance bias fact check. Attendance bias fact check. Adam's first show, which he attended with his parents on December 15th, 1995, at the Philadelphia Spectrum, did indeed open with Choctaw's torture, as he mentioned. It also had secret language signals in Possum, but most interestingly, at least to me, Fishman sang an original song called Mallory, on which he sings lead vocals and plays piano. Mallory was never played before, and it hasn't been played since. What in the world was that? If you're anything like me and you haven't heard or heard of Mallory before, check out the remastered audience recording on fish.in, and if you're one of those guys who goes straight up to the stage during a show with a sign for requests, try Mallory. When talking about Fish in 1998, Adam brings up the fact that the band covered Van Halen. He's referring to the show on August 6, 1998 at the Lakewood Amphitheater in Atlanta, Georgia. The band played the rock classic as the first song of the encore and then closed the entire show with You Enjoy Myself. When reviewing the 1999 Summer Tour, I mentioned that Derek Trucks appeared with the band. That was on July 7th at what was then the Blockbuster Amphitheater in Charlotte. Trucks appeared for the encore and played on Possum and Funky Bitch. When talking about his most memorable melodies from Fish Jams, Adam checks The Wedge from Chicago and The Ghost from Worcester. More specifically, The Wedge was played at Northerly Island on July 20th, 2014, and The Ghost was played on February 26th, 2003 at the Worcester Centrum, and that Ghost even features a jam on War's Lowrider. Toward the end of today's interview, Adam mentioned how he first suggested discussing Fish's show from Burgettstown, Pennsylvania, played on July 29th, 2003, but someone already chose it that someone was pete mason otherwise known as fan art pete you can find that discussion and that episode by scrolling back a bit to prior episodes and that's it for today's interview and episode i'd like to thank adam rosenberg for joining me today fish.net for their help with the fact check and fish.in for the recording used in today's episode if you enjoy attendance bias please support the show by leaving a rating and a review on your favorite podcast app You can also follow attendance bias on social media. I'm most active on Instagram and Twitter. If you reach out, send a message and say, hi, I'm happy to send you a free sticker. Thank you again so much for listening and I'll see you next week on attendance bias.